It's time for another episode of The Scoop. Get ready to talk Temple Athletics with John DiCarlo, Kyle Gauss, Matt Vender, and Dalton Bullfazer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of The Scoop. I'm Dalton Balthazer, joined by my weekly Wednesday Media X Factors, Matt Vender, Kyle Gauss, John DeCarlo. How's ah, it going? I like good. the Media X Factors. That's a good one. Good. I'm chewing a cliff bar. John's <laughs> rustling <laughs> aluminum foil and chewing a cliff bar during the middle of uh, our opening segment. Chocolate Hungry. chip. Yes, it's tasty. Those, those are, those are good bars. Smith. I enjoy those. Yeah, the, the, the name on the Coke bottle is Smith. I'm sorry, does that not... Do you want me to get one and say Kyle? No, it's fine. interesting they're doing last names now. Yeah. Like... Uh, share one with Smitty. Share one with Smith. Yeah. <laughs> this is a pretty tasty Cliff Bar, though. Yeah, those Cliff Bars are They're good. They're not a sponsor of the Scoop. Maybe they won't be now. <laughs> Reach out. Yeah. Always looking for sponsors. They're listening. Anyway. <laughs> Temple defeats UMass 29-21 to at the link last Friday. Another another close game for the Owls. Um, I guess just initial observations from the game. Logan Murphy had a really solid game. The run game continues to struggle. The option game also was a little questioning for the Owls. And UMass's kicker might be at Staples this week. He had made a field goal. It was a good shirt freshman, right? Or a true freshman? Poor guy. He had made a field goal all year. He was 0 for 1 in the first game, too. Um, yeah, he had a rough he had a rough day. The first half of that game was like staring into the abyss. It was just like, <laughs> they were angry. What did you say? What was your tweet about Friday nights? Uh, I said in college I used to drink co- Friday nights were for drinking copious amounts of gut rot liquor. Just like terrible, like bottom shelf stuff. Well, I once drank vodka from wine spirits that just said vodka on it. It didn't even have a brand name. <laughs> it's just like like when you go to like a general store and it just tells you what it is. Like vodka, nuts, cranberries, vodka. Sounds so, like something you buy at Costco. It was from a state <laughs> store. So yeah, it's, yeah, Costco probably would have been better. But uh, I said I used, Friday nights were for that and drinking about copious amounts of alcohol. And this Friday I spent watching this game. I don't know which was worse for my health. <laughs> but then with like two minutes left, Temple scores two touchdowns before the half and then goes on to put up 26 points over the next right. 20, uh, 32 minutes or whatever. So offense looked really good for the, the like a twenty minute stretch and pretty much the same the rest of the year, mm-hmm. the rest of the game. Yeah, I think there two. I think there two issues right now are defending the middle of the field and getting the running game going. I think everything else, while not perfect, is in a in a satisfactory to pretty good place. I get that everybody's gonna look at the quarterback position. I. If Logan Marchie continues to play this way, I would not burn Todd Santeo's redshirt. And I liked what I saw, the, the, the quick glimpse that we saw of Todd Santeo. But, you know, I, I thought that, that Dave Patnude was pretty, again, I know he's been another source of, of criticism, but I thought he was pretty candid after the game when we talked to him. He said, look, he's like that in practice. He'll throw four or five bad throws, and then the next one's a back shoulder fade 30 yards down the field spot on. I mean, he did. He had some stretches. He had that one pass in the game that looked like a – Looked like a, a sinker. It just went right down. Benzel Bryant stared at him like he was going to kill him. Yeah, yeah. It was just a bad throw. But then he got other throws that he put. I mean, the the, the touchdown to Isaiah Wright. Granted, it was a one-handed catch, but he put it only where he could get okay. it. He had the one throw where he bought himself some time. Rolled to his right and fired that one pass. Matt and I were talking about that. Well, I guess yesterday. No, that to was Kirkwood. Kirkwood. Yeah. I mean, beautiful throw. He's got it. He looks better. And I kid you not, how many times did we say over the summer when we were when we were recording this. Anytime we were in practice, most of the time when I saw Logan, he did not look good. But then you talk to a couple of people and people say, well, he had a good day the other day. And that's kind of how it's been. He's had some bad throws, but then he has stretches where I'm like, hey, he's managing the offense just fine. They need to find some sort of offensive identity and run the ball more effectively. And they need to defend the middle of the field. I think especially these last two opponents, UMass and, and Villanova, have said, okay, we don't have great 
perimeter. We don't have great offensive talent along the perimeter. Neither one of these programs had like a game-breaking six foot four or like a four three forty type of receiver along the perimeter. But we can run a lot of routes over the middle and confuse some young linebackers. I don't know that they'll see that as much against USF, but I think that's been the problem. And then just running the ball. Otherwise, I think you'd have to be relatively pleased with you know, where they are. They're 2 and one They're where we thought they were. I wrote about this Friday night. It's just they didn't get there in the same way that we thought they would, I guess, if that made sense. Yeah, I mean, this was a, this was a week that we thought that the run game was going to finally get going. UMass came in averaging or giving up 210 yards per game on the ground, 4.8 4. yards per carry, I think. So this, this was supposed to be the week that they get the run game going, get Raquel Armstead going, but it just didn't happen really. I mean, Raquel did have that on the second carry of the game. Yeah. Yeah. He had a 56-yard run. Other than that, he wasn't able to get a whole lot going, and they weren't able to get a whole lot going anywhere else. They did have Marchie running a little bit. But the, the run game to me is still a pretty big concern. I mean, they haven't shown much signs of life there since the first half of the Notre Dame game where I thought they actually ran the ball pretty well. As Kyle, Kyle and I were talking before we started recording, I guess Raquel still doesn't sound like Raquel's right. totally healthy yet. Um, sounds like he's still still dealing with some sort of injury. Um, but he he just hasn't had the burst that that he had last season where he averaged uh, over five yards a carry. And, you know, whether it's him or whether it's Hood or whether it's Gardner, they're going to have to find a way to get the run game going if, if they have any shot against South Florida. And I think the bright spot as we kind of look to the defensive side, Quincy Roche had a huge game. He had yeah. three sacks, seven tackles, four tackles for loss, a forced fumble, a forced fumble that he ultimately picked up himself. I think uh, he was a huge factor. I think he's co-defensive player of the week in the AAC. But I think he was definitely on the defensive side. One of the main reasons why they were able to win that game, switching momentum late in that second half. I just want to ask you about the defensive line. I think the defensive line has arguably been the best group of players on this team so far this year. Just being able to create havoc to opposing quarterbacks, I think they've been able to do it well the last couple weeks. What stood out to you about the defensive line and how they've been able to to generate some pass rush? Definitely Quincy Roche. And in... Jeff Collins is has been the one coach to really come in and say this is a developmental program. And he said, but, you know, he, he referred to Mississippi State in that way. But he's right. I mean, this is fans have, have enjoyed the success that's come over the past couple of years and the success that Al Golden had and the success that the short, you know, the one of the two seasons that Steve Dazio had here where the program has been more successful. But it's still a developmental program. They're not going out and getting instant impact five-star guys that are playing as true freshmen all the time. And Quincy Roche is the latest example of that. Did he do it against UMass? Yes, but I mean, he looked fast. I mean, he looked really quick and really dynamic out there. And he's, what, 230 pounds now? Like, he yeah. came in at like 205. He was about 200, 205 pounds when they recruited him, when they brought him into camp. He looked great. But the defensive line as a whole, I, I think we saw this coming. I don't know if it's going to be one dominant guy like Hassan Reddick, unless it's going to be. I mean, if Quincy Roche gets ten and a half sacks this year as a, as a redshirt freshman, then he's in for some big things down the road. But they're getting pressure from from different areas. But I mean, he really stood out. I mean, one week it might be Jacob Martin, or it might be Shree Finch, or it might be Karamo Diabate, or it might be um, I don't know. Still, and he's really really young, but they have high hopes for Dan Archibong. So, quick side note on Dan. I didn't Jeff say Friday night he's like we Dan actually had Dan Archibong in on offense. Yeah, I never saw him. Snaps. I saw Jacob Martin. Yeah, Jacob yeah. Martin was in a tight. Yeah, tight end is like an extra blocking tight end. But, yeah, I think they're they're going to have to get it from a lot of different people. And I still think each week you're probably going to see more sophisticated stuff in terms of, like, blitz packages and what they send to people. Right. Um, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Just I would kind of echo that part is the one aspect, a lot of aspects. The aspect I liked about the defense against UMass was 
What's the liability in this defense? It's the linebackers right, right now, right? What's the benefit of the linebackers is their athleticism. They did a lot of linebacker blitzes. Sam right. Franklin got two uh, sacks. Isaiah Graham Mobley got mm-hmm. a sack. They really utilized the linebackers in the way that they could make a difference instead of just being a potential weak spot in the defense. Mm-hmm. And, and you know that somebody had a big game when Sharif Finch's two sack, three tackle for a loss game doesn't even get mentioned. Right. Like, Sharif Finch had a hell of a game, and Quincy Roche just absolutely overshadowed him. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on the the option? Temple was running the option a little bit on offense. It hasn't really seemed to work so far. I think maybe the scheme is kind of hurting their run game as well because Raquel Armstead's more of a power right. power formation type back, and they're running him out of the shotgun frequently. What are your thoughts on the whole idea of the option for Temple's offense and running out of that kind of spread? Don't like it, and especially don't like it on third down when they ran it that one time. I mean, look, I'm not there in practice. I don't know what, what, what Dave has cooked up in his playbook. Um, and I, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I get it. It's it's a more fervent fan base now, and they're going to pay more attention. And look, they have every right to complain about what they want to complain about. But I don't know why you're running some option stuff when you have a guy that some people consider to be the best fullback in the country. You can talk to different football people, and some of them, I think, even uh, somebody talking about the Eagles this week. It's the same debate goes on with why you're running Legarrette Blunt out of the out of the shotgun. Some football people say it doesn't really make a difference. Some people say it does make a difference. The, I, to me, this is not an option football team unless there's stuff that we really haven't seen yet. And again, not that he's always going to tell a reporter the truth. I actually even asked Dave Friday night. I said. Is there anything to the fact that maybe you guys haven't really shown as much as you want to show because you haven't gotten the conference play yet? And he's like, no, it seemed genuine. I don't know. He said, no, I mean, we got we to gotta win games, which is true. I mean, you almost lost. To, I mean, it's not like they blew out UMass. You almost lost to Villanova. I don't think they're in a position where they're like, we can go bland for three weeks until we play USF. I mean, they're a new staff. Their livelihood depends on this. I mean, they can't they can't just win one or two games this year and preach patience. I think Matt Rule was able to get away with that when he came in with less talent. These guys have got to go out and win five, six, seven games and try to get to a bowl game this year, even if Deion Dawkins is gone and PJ's gone and stuff like that. So I would say if you had the option talent, if you've got a couple of talented guys behind Rockwell, I think I, I think Hood's okay. But I think there's a drop off. And until further notice, I don't think, I mean, maybe Logan Marchi becomes a better option quarterback. I think he's better just rolling out and throwing the ball. I don't think you have the tools in the toolbox to be a great option team. So I, I don't like it. And I, like I said, I especially don't like it on third down. I don't mind it, I guess, as much as you. I mind it when you're running it with Rockwell Armstead. David Hood is more of the, the back that can actually run that. When you're forcing Rockwell Armstead to actually run the option with that, it concerns me a little more. I would like to see Logan keep a little more if they are going to run that option. Yeah, I agree with Kyle. I mean, I, I don't think Logan's the perfect option quarterback. I think if, if you had Todd Santeo and David Hood as your two as your starting quarterback, starting running back, then I think it would make sense to maybe run some option. But with Raquel as your starting running back and Logan as the starting quarterback, I, I, I especially with the way Logan's been throwing the ball, I, I don't really see why they, they revert to that. I think it goes back to the fact that they just haven't found an offensive identity yet. Patton has tried to do a bunch of different things going into the spread, you know, r- running with the fullback and, and going under under center at times. He's doing so many different things, and I think they just need to narrow it down and do what they did best last year, get get into the play action, run from under center, use Armstead, who is a really good downhill runner, use their fullback and Nick Sharga, who Jeff Collins describes as, as an NFL player. So if they can do that, then I think they're going to have some success. But I don't really like the option because I just think last year proved that they can – I know 
the personnel is a little bit different, but I think last year proved that this is a team that should run from under center most of the time. They should run out of the play action, and that's how they should get their offense going. They shouldn't re be relying on an option or, or spread offense. So the Owls will travel down to Tampa this Thursday, 7.30 on ESPN, to play the Bulls of South Florida, a game that they won last year 44-20, to I believe. At the link? 46 to 30. 46-30. You're in the ballpark, though. Close enough. Yeah. <laughs> Close, but no cigar. But anyway, the Owls will travel down there and play South Florida on Thursday, a team that, that has 522 total yards of offense per game, 281 rushing yards per game. They allow the fewest rushing yards per game in the conference, but as we were talking about before the show, that's kind of skewed because of how some of their games have been going. And they do have the most interceptions in the conference with eight. Uh, Temple does allow close to 500 yards per game on defense, and they have the second worst worst rushing offense at 94 yards per 94.3 yards per game. I guess we I know the obvious matchup that's going to be key here. That's USF's rushing offense against Temple's rushing defense. Temple's been able to do a good job over the last couple of weeks in slowing down, you know, Zach Bednarsik and that dual threat Villanova offense. And last week against UMass, which didn't really seem to have a lot of running offense uh, for sure. I guess uh, something that stands out immediately from this matchup and what Temple has to do to, to maybe keep drives going on offense and, and really try to keep up with a USF team that scored 30 points in 20 straight games. Well, I, I think on offense the, the big thing is just going to be, I, I, mean, I know it might sound cliche, but I think the big thing is going to be running the ball. I mean, we, we've said it every week going into these games, but if they can't run the ball and they can't control the time of possession and, you know, Quentin Flowers has the ball for – too much time. It's it's going to be too much on the defense. They're going to have to keep the ball out of Quentin Flowers' hands as much as they can. Uh, so they're going to have to get the run game going with Rukal Armstead. Uh, so that's the main thing. Whether you know we we, I, we haven't mentioned it yet, but they could be without Javon Fair, their their starting left guard. We're unsure. Or, uh, Jeff Collins described him as a game time decision, and which is more than we ever get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he did comment. Injury. We don't on talk about injury. injuries. No, we sort of talk about injuries. Yeah. So. We'll see if he plays, but they'll have the, a veteran and, and Adrian Sullivan as his replacement, likely if if uh, if Fair is unable to go. But they're going to have to find a way to get that run game going somehow, some way. USF happen, happens to be pretty good against the run. I know their numbers might be a little bit skewed because they they blown teams out for the most part, um, so teams have been passing a lot against them. But their numbers are pretty good against the run. They're going to have to find a, get, a way to get the run game going. Uh, and then I think more so against USF, it's it's also going to be you know Logan Marchie's going to have to going to have to find a way to make some throws um, that that he did on on Friday night. I thought um, you know that pass to Kirkwood where he rolled out to the right um, and, and really made just a, a bullet pass to Kirkwood. I, I think stuff like that is is was encouraging for me. I think the way Logan Marchie's throwing some balls has, has been really impressive. So they're going to need. They're going to need him to play a really, really strong game. They're, I don't think he can turn the ball over. Like you said, USF's been, um, you know, one of the one of the best in the country in, in forcing interceptions. I think they have eight on the year, which yep. is third in the in the country. Is that right? Yeah, somewhere near there. So yeah. they're best in the conference. Yes, they have some good DBs that have made some plays, but um, you know, run, establishing the run. I know it sounds like I've been, I've been saying it every week, but that's the main thing. Yeah, I guess I'll just completely echo that. Past two years, these have been the two best teams in the, in the division. 2015, two weeks after losing uh, to Notre Dame, Temple gets absolutely embarrassed by South Florida. South Florida ran 70 plays on that, and Temple rushed 31 times for 121 yards. Fast forward to last year, Temple wins 46-30 to 30 to basically become go in the driver's seat for the division. Temple ran the ball 
48 times for 322 yards. Rockwell Armstead had 20, 20 carries yep. for 210 yards. As a direct result of that, South Florida ran 53 plays that game. South Florida is doing triple-digit plays this game uh, this year. They're doing 100 over 100 plays a game. You somehow get Rockwell Armstead, bum, leg, or ankle, whatever it is, if you can somehow get him into that, maybe 210 is unrealistic, but if you can get him into a sustainable running game, you keep Quint Flowers off the field, uh, you never see Quint Flowers again in your life, <laughs> and you move. I mean, he might play in the NFL. I'm just saying you'll never have to face him again, mm-hmm. and you have a, something resembling a chance in this. They need to run the ball. You yeah, should they, be able to run it better, though. I still, I, I, you know, I was talking to someone else about this on Friday. I, is, is Rockwell a little dinged up? Sure, but is it... Is it blocking? Is it scheme? Is it? I think it might be a little bit of a little bit of everything. But it's not like obviously I don't I don't overlook the the importance of not having Jihad Thomas and like Matt I think Matt said this last week Jihad could be the guy that could go east west for you and could kind of run laterally and, and Rockwell was your downhill guy. But you still have one of the top backs in the conference. You shouldn't be where you are right now in terms of in terms of running the ball. So. I absolutely agree with you. They got it. They got to sustain some drives. I'm sure they'll say hey, on the road or at home. Take points any way you can get them. If sure. it's if it's a two play drive, we go 70 yards, and one of them's a uh, you know 60 yard bomb. You, you take it, but they do have. They should. I mean, like you're, yes, your center is a redshirt freshman, but I st- I think Hennessy right now is an upgrade over McGowan. You know, Sullivan's back. Fair is back, although he may not play in this game. You know, Leon Johnson, you have some guys. It's not a completely decimated offensive line. They should be running it better than they than they are right now. Hope you're looking forward to seeing a lot of uh, laundry on the field. Last game, last <laughs> year against Temple, South Florida had 11 penalties. This year, they're averaging 10.3 penalties a game. Were you saving that line, or was that no, just that's one uh, off the hip? Off the hip. <laughs> 10.3 penalties, 79 yards. It's a lot of penalties. That segment brought to you by Tide. I got a new washer and dryer a couple weeks ago. Yeah? Yeah. It was nice. And I was like an old man. I couldn't figure out how to use the washer at first. One of Which the one smart it? ones. Uh, not the Bosch. What is, what is uh, it? Uh, no, it's a Whirlpool. It's a Whirlpool? But it's like a touchscreen Whirlpool. Yeah, yeah. Boop, boop, boop. And then it says, thank you, Kyle. It washes. It does not. Do not ask me. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. I could see you trying to program it in so it talks to you. You look great today, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I told Alexa thank you there uh, this morning. I asked Alexa for my news briefing. She played me NPR's news. Siri, and ESPN. You mean? No, Alexa, like the Amazon Echo. And because oh. uh, I put it on the shower and I, I listened to the news. And afterwards, I asked a question, like, I forget what it was, something about the weather. And she told me. And I said, Alexa? And she said, Yes, thank you. It is my pleasure, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But Matt had a chance to talk with, with Dave Patnude at practice on Tuesday. And he talked about sustaining drives against US USF team that can score in bunches. So here's what he had to say to Matt about that for the Owls. Absolutely. I mean, you have to be. You can't give those guys a chance to run 100 plays. You know, in a basketball terminology, they want to be the Warriors, right? They want to get the ball off the rim. They want to run it down the down the court. They want to jack up a shot, play fast, but, you know, play, you know, that kind of frenzied type of offense. You know, we have to be able to control the ball. You can't turn the ball over. You can't give them short fields. You have to be able to run the ball. You got to be able to push the tempo when you, you know, you can't just take a, a, a no huddle team and just make them a huddle, you know, stand on the line type team. So you got to be able to mix your personnel in there and you got to be able to mix your groupings and, and your tempo, but you have to be able to run the ball and you got to be able to control it with a short pass. So there's Dave Patnode talking to Matt about sustaining drives against the USF team that can score in bunches. Prediction time, I believe we all guessed Temple last week. I was the closest to pick UMass. I'm glad I didn't because I would have looked like a buffoon. But anyway, they looked that ridiculous. Uh, they almost lost that game. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, we'll uh, 
prediction time. Who you guys got? I think the line's 19 for, for Temple. Temple's getting 19. Matt, you go ahead first. <laughs> All right, yeah, I got my score. I'll go 45-21 USF. I just I, th- I think USF is too much speed. I think that they're they're going to be on the field too long. I just I don't I don't see this being too pretty for Temple. I think they do a decent enough job keeping Flowers in check running wise. I think he's going to beat them with their arm though. I'd say South Florida 45. I'll say Temple scores a couple more points. 45-28. Thinking 35-17 for this game. Um, as Kyle likes to say, last year he would say, yeah, I'm going to say it this year, where are you trending? Am I trending positive, trending negative? Trending negative for this game, I, I think uh, this, I mean, if you're looking for, if, if uh, a week where Logan hasn't turned the ball over in the first three weeks, uh, yes, he's played on the road already in a, in a big-time college stadium. Uh, I think this might be a week where he has a turnover and it costs him a little bit. Um, and it might derail the offense a little bit and kind of put them in a bit of a funk. I say 35-17. This thing can get out of hands pretty quickly. Two years sure. ago when they lost, uh, they were down 14-10. Austin Jones had a field goal with 10-46 left in the second. They pulled within four. He thought Temple was going to fight around. By halftime, it was 31-10. It wasn't like they just can they can put the gas on at any point. It really probably up. Yeah, it sounds cliche, but literally this is one of those, and I'm not trying to make them out to be a top-five team, but they're on a roll right now, and it's on the road. Um, I'll be interested to see what kind of crowd they get. They're all USF is always struggling for they're a crowd. Gonna, they're going to announce twenty five. In reality, they'll get eleven and a half. Yeah, <laughs> um, but the, one of the things that Flowers really, really hurts you with is like they could have him wrapped up, and again, you have young linebackers who are still learning. You know, he could really just keep a drive going where it's like third and eleven. They look like they have everything covered. He breaks a tackle, runs for like 13 yards, and that's an absolute backbreaker for them. I think you're going to see that happen a couple times. That's where he's really tough. Just like the same stuff you'd see from Greg Ward in the past when they would play Houston. I think 19's a lot for USF to cover. It can happen, but I think give me USF 40 to 24. I think I think Dallas can keep it within the spread. I just think it's kind of one of those games that USF gets up early and then Temple kind of gets some garbage points later on the in, South in the Florida, game. The South Florida defense doesn't really scare me that much. No. I think they can move the ball against them. It's where or not Logan Marchie turns the ball over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just, to, just on the ground, you have three, I guess, three guys on the roster right now for them have all rushed for 200 yards in the first couple, mm-hmm. first few weeks of the season. This so is they, standard week four box score stuff. Right. The stats look inflated because... Yep. Yeah, they haven't played. They played San Jose State, mm-hmm. uh, Stony Brook, Stony Brook, and then and a, pretty, Illinois. a pretty mediocre <laughs> to bad Illinois right. team. Right. So, but they definitely have. The, they've looked impressive doing so. Yeah. But you're going to put up numbers against those teams, unless you're Temple, apparently, because they don't put up those numbers. Yeah. Well, that's what that's. I I really think that it comes down to that. It's like they've had, well, not completely similar schedules. I mean, Notre Dame. Although Notre Dame took them a while to get going against Boston College and the dude. They're a better team than Illinois. Oh yeah, no question. But Temple has not looked good against two guys, two te- two teams on their schedule that were supposed to be getting games. Villanova is better than Stony Brook, but San Jose State is probably better than them. Villanova put fifty nine points last week. Fifty nine. Uh, yeah. It's time for our sometimes serious and sometimes silly mailbag. We appreciate the questions on Twitter and the message boards. First question comes from at Philly Bully on Twitter. Any basketball targets other than Wurtz to look out for? With the uh, questioning emoji. For two thousand eighteen, nothing serious I can think of. I think there. I think their general approach is they, if they get someone like him, great. If not, I think they're more inclined to leave that scholarship open because they think so highly of the 2019 class, which is supposed to be loaded. I don't think that they're just going to be able to go out and get whoever they want in 2019. But I, I don't know. I'm sure there are names, but he, he's probably the most serious one right now. Um, but none that I can really think of. I think they're definitely taking, like, 
this approach where it would be a luxury to have a second kid. If not, we'll roll that scholarship over to 19. Yeah, after losing uh, Amir Harris to Rhode Island over the weekend, I, I think Wirtz is the only guy that I say they're seriously in the mix for right now. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Next question comes from Thanks, James Rodfield on Twitter. Most intimidating individual Temple opponent in basketball or football? Mike Vick, Quentin Flowers, among the names that are mentioned here. Uh, I never saw Vick play against Temple. Flowers comes to mind. Greg Ward really comes yeah. to mind. Uh, I looked historically just to see if there was anybody other than Vic that would scare me. Andre Ware, I think, would have scared me in 1989. Andre Ware threw for seven touchdown passes against Temple in 1989. Mm-hmm. So, that uh, been, Devin Hester would have scared me a little bit when he was coming, a lot of those you guys in Miami. Think would have done it. Yeah, uh, and then think also about defense. Think about like going up against like a Ray Lewis. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> but also, I, I, I want a recent guy that comes to mind. USF related. Marlon Mack. We were talking yeah, about him before the show. I mean, he. I was down at USF in 2015 when they when they lost 44-23, and he just. I mean, that that wasn't Flowers' game. That was really Marlon Mack's game, where he just totally ran all over that defense. Marlon Mack that day when they beat that. He went 200 plus yards on the ground, right? At least. No. I mean, I'm sure he did. (laughs) I'm groaning at the ability to find the box score. Marlon Mack that day rushed in a 44-23 win. 21 times for 230 yards and two touchdowns. Also added a touchdown via the air. Rodney Adams had a good game, though, there, too. Yeah, Marlon Mack was uh, scared me. For me, you know, Michael Vick looked like he was playing a video game when he was in Virginia Tech against a lot of teams, not just Temple. A lot of those Miami guys. But I can't. I don't think we talked about this on the scoop. We might have been talking about it on the way out to Notre Dame. Ken Dorsey, who never became more than like a backup, I think, with the 49ers, was such, the such a good college quarterback. was ridiculous at Miami. Um those, those, any of those Miami players were just were fun to watch. In basketball, Elton Brand when they would play Duke, and, and to me, this is just my opinion. Yeah, decent NBA career. Uh, the, the most intimidating opponent, uh, and I, I got to cover him when I was in college, was Marcus Camby. He was so, so good at UMass, so dominant, and and Temple had a pretty good team. When they were still playing, it, uh, it might have been 96, 97, they were still playing at McGonagall Hall. Tickets were, the line for tickets was wrapped up th- three times around McGonagall Hall. And Canby was so dominant on both ends. I mean, he literally, they could not get shots over him. I remember Mark Jackson, who was a 6'10", back to the basket center, eventually went on to a decent NBA career. I mean, they couldn't get anything going. I remember, like, Mark Jackson was starting to chuck threes, and they were just in trouble early. Canby was that dominant a player when he was at UMass. So I, I think of him... Think of Elton Brand, um, uh, but and then on, on the football end of things, like the, the the Big East days, Vic Greg Ward was really really good. I don't know, you don't think of him as a lineman, but I remember just looking at Ronnie Stanley, what he did a couple of years ago. They just could not mm-hmm. get around right. him. He was really good. So those a few names. Next question comes from Getsky on Twitter. Best meetup spot. <laughs> no, so I don't, I don't, what's the context of this question? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming, I guess, on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Defer to yeah. defer to the younger, the younger three guys. Best meetup spot on campus, uh, <laughs> Tech Center. <laughs> I met my wife at the Tech Center. Yeah, Beery Beach. Not me, my wife at Beery Beach. Also no, met no sand at Beery Beach. Also met chain smoking Pittsburgh girl at the Tech Center. Tech Center is not in there for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> meetup is in places like meet new people or like meet up with your friends. Or meet girls. Uh, Beery Beach for all of them. Bring a dog. Pretty good dog. Just like catnip to them. They come running in. <laughs> there were therapy dogs in the student center today. Well, I got therapy dog out. He needs yeah. therapy. 
Oh, <laughs> he gets boarded tomorrow night for the first time in his life. Oh, because you guys are leaving to go to Hawaii. I'm going to Hotlanta tomorrow. You think I'm going to Hawaii this Oh, that's weekend? later. That's later. That's later. You guys are going to yeah, Hawaii. I'm going to Atlanta this weekend. You're going to Atlanta. Yeah, I'm going to go see the new ballpark. Ah, cool. So, should be fun. Yeah, who else is from show? Atlanta? Jeff Collins. Yeah. Yeah, Southern man himself. <laughs> <laughs> Southern man himself. Yeah, I, I got enough on the meetup spot. I just I'd say Maxie's. I enjoy Maxie's. Maxie's has a nice, like, watered down version of White Girl Wednesday where they still do, like, the drink specials, but it's not as ridiculously crowded. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't think there were meetup spots in the 90s when I was in school. It was just like you <laughs> met people out in the city. <laughs> yeah. It was, you'd meet up with people downtown. I the, the one college girlfriend I had here, I literally, like, I think I started talking to her either at the gym at McGonagall or at Temple Towers. <laughs> Those aren't really meet-up spots. And Doc just banged his head I against her refrigerator. I going to go into a six-minute John DeCarlo no. story. No, 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 no. You know, like, she told me she was interested. I said, well, I've been interested in you for, like, three months. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Fast for a couple months, you know, like the chair. Chemistry wasn't really there, though. Do I, do, can I see a future with her? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just contemplate driving in the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Next question comes from Temple Sports Guy, Sup. Uh, sup back, Temple Sports sup. Guy. Appreciate the question. <laughs> Next question comes from the I Believe Guy. On a scale from Rule to Adazio, where do you put Collins? I like this question. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's pretend this is a spectrum. And rule is 10, and Adazio's 0. Where would you put Collins? I don't know if that's fair to the dude. Yeah, that's what we're just attributing. <laughs> <laughs> put, put two parameters. Guy won a bowl game. He did. Yeah. Matt Rule did not win a bowl game. I am not saying that Steve Adazio was a 0 out of 10. Okay, just for argument. Apply right. two parameters. Okay. I'm thinking like I'll four. Adazio's a 4. So you're Rule's four? like 9. That is not the concept of this <laughs> I know, I know. I just wanted to, I just wanted <laughs> just, to take okay, you off. Fine. We'll take away the zero and, and uh, ten. It's Adazio rule. Do percentage. Is he 40% Adazio, 60% rule? Is he 70% rule, 30% Adazio? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, that's more fair. I'll say he's 65% Adazio, 35% rule. No, 60-40. I'll say 60 I 55-45 Adazio to rule. There's the, you know, some fans initially on paper might be inclined to say, look, he and Rule are good friends. But Jeff, I think, likes to play up, not that Matt didn't, Jeff likes to really play up the positive, like uh, the juice, the guys were hyped, there's like the money down stuff. And not to say that he doesn't have football knowledge or football acumen. I think he's a tad more Adazio in terms of being a salesman than he is Rule, if that makes sense. I think he's a better football coach than Steve Adazio in the sense of like actual X's and O's. Like when Steve Adazio yeah. came, even when they hired him, they were like, oh, this is Florida's offensive coordinator. Florida might have been the happiest person in that. Everybody, yeah. every Florida fan hated Steve Adazio as an offensive mm -hmm. coordinator. Jeff Collins is actually a successful defensive coordinator. Yeah, there was a general... Um, there was a fire Steve Adazio.com. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there was not... There was not... And again, like I, you know, there was there were a couple of people he was combative with. I've said this before. Steve never mistreated me. I wish him well, but he was not when he was the pick. There was a little bit of an undercurrent of like, really, yeah. Uh, and like Kyle said, there were a lot of people in Florida who were like a lot of Florida fans who were like yeah, good riddance. Here, I, Jeff was kind of a late name on on the radar. I think Temple was pretty good at keeping things close to the vest, despite some of the names that were being thrown out there inaccurately, but. He, um, 
when the name surfaced, I think je- the general rub was like, oh, okay, pretty good hire. Good defensive coordinator at, at Mississippi State. Good defensive coordinator at Florida. I think just in the way that, like he presents himself, I don't think he's like a blowhard like Steve was. I mean, Steve at one point was, was talking to the media one day. He was like, everybody's got to get behind this program. You guys have got to get behind this program. You guys, like, it's like no, we, we don't do PR. We're reporters. Jeff hasn't said anything like that. Jeff has said we appreciate everything you guys are doing and stuff like that, but... But I do think he's a tad more Dazio. Yeah, I think he's like 60-40. I, I was going to say 70-30, but I don't think that's fair to Collins. I think it's like we're still warning about him. So yeah. it's, it's I, I was talking about this game. the other day. We haven't, we haven't, we've seen the press conference podium Jeff Collins, but we haven't really seen – he's – he tries to hide. I think the the, the guy who he actually hanging is. out on the outskirts of Philly, where he lives, Jeff Jeff Collins. Dave Patton reminds me more of Stephen Dazio. He says stuff like like dude. he's he's a big dude guy. He's a beautiful looking dude. Like he's it, it, you know, it, it, all all Dave would have to do is start using the word now more, and then he would he would he would sound like Steve. I'm looking at the the archive.org uh, snapshot of firestevedazio.com in, in 2011. And it's right after he took the Temple job. For you Temple students out there, Steve Adazio's taught us anything is never give up on your dreams. Because if this guy can become the head coach of a D1 football program, anyone can. Zing. They hung with Notre Dame for a while, and then the wheels came off. <laughs> Next question comes from B.A. Carlson, 21. On the message boards, which phrase is more overused by J- Coach Collins, I'm from the South, or when I was defensive coach in the SEC? Uh, I'm from the South. We love this. I mean, we love it. It's a joke every single week. I legitimately enjoy it. Like, oh, I did, yeah. You know, became like self-aware like i'm talking about he's ai like if he became like self-aware and just like realized oh i gotta stop saying these things i'd be very upset if he stopped saying yeah i'm uh, from the south jeff if you're listening please never stop saying that it brings he said it away. again tuesday right Did, what was the what was the reference he made uh, oh yeah he was talking about the fact that uh charlie strong had his office at florida because they were both defensive coordinators it was, an, florida. En- it was an endowed position yeah, right? like, said, i don't know the word endowed maybe i'm like <laughs> <laughs> Easy, Jeff. <laughs> Easy. I'm like, I don't Easy, know if that was the word you're looking for, Mr. Yeah. South. <laughs> down coaching position, meaning it was it was donated. The money was donated for it. But yeah, he. Get, I'm from the. <laughs> stop it. I'm from, <laughs> thank God for uh, podcasting. Loves that at least once a week. I mean, it's become a joke. Like I'm. Uh, I think he's aware that he says it a lot. Yeah. Like I have phrases I go to a lot. I think he's oh, yeah. aware that he has phrases he goes yeah. to. A lot. Yeah. Just, we're gonna do. See, we're gonna do uh, Jeff Collins bingo one day. Jeff <laughs> next question comes from well next and last question comes from JHG722 why doesn't Isaiah Wright get the ball more Matt you want to take this one for, we were talking about this before and I, and I agree with you yeah well I, I think all, all fans want is Isaiah Wright to touch the ball a lot because he's a talented kid he's I mean, against Notre Dame, he looked like he looked like one of the only Temple players who actually belonged on the field and mm-hmm. could play for Notre Dame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's a really talented guy. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. But with that being said, how many completions is Logan Marchie going to throw in a game? 25 maybe, mm-hmm. max? So you're looking at like 25 completions. You have Adonis Jennings. You have Keith Kirkwood. Mm-hmm. You have Ventel Bryant. You have Roger Cansey. You have all these guys. There's only so many touches to go around. And in Dave Patton's offense, it's always been that, you know, there's different receivers who, who lead the team in receiving each week. The ball spreads around. So I just think – I know people want to see him at tailback a little bit, but I don't – maybe that's going to be unleashed against USF because they've been practice, practicing him there. He's been getting reps there. We just haven't seen him in a game situation yet. So maybe that's one of the things that they unleash in the conference opener. But – there's only so many touches to go around, so the fact that he's getting, you know, the touches that he's getting now, I think this is what he, what he's going to get because there's just 
too much talent at receiver for him to get 10 to 15 touches a game. Like, it's it's not realistic with Adonis and with Kirkwood and with Mantell and all these guys. It's just there's too many guys for him to get that many touches. I mean, he's averaging like 60 yards a game. So, like, if you came into this year and you said, hey, Isaiah Wright's going to get 720 or 840 receiving yards this year, you would say, wow, they really had him involved in the offense. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's making the most of the opportunities. They're using him a good opportunity. I, I think, yeah, he shouldn't get two catches in a game. But I agree with Matt. If you want to get him involved more, run him out of running back a little bit or do something like that. I'm fine with his involvement in the receiving game. I would like to see him a little more in, like, the Wildcat running back. He was a high school quarterback, things like that. Yeah, I would, too. I also, potential NFL wide receivers in front of him. Yeah, I also would keep... Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind having him back there once in a while. I also think you've got to get him as much route running experience as possible because you're sure. going to have your receivers leaving. But um, I think heading into the UMass game, it was fair to say, hey, get him the ball more, get him the ball more. He was really talented. And then they, I think they did get him the ball more the other night. And he... he he did make plays off of it. Um, I, again, I wouldn't mind seeing him a couple a couple times in uh, in the Wildcat, but I wouldn't put him back there all the time because he could, especially if you're if there's going to be a, you know, if, if you could have a situation there where he gets tackled for a loss and is exposed in a different way in terms of how he gets hit. But I think they they seem to be on a general progression of getting him the ball more and more each week. This isn't a situation where it's like, oh man. Only the fans see how good Isaiah Wright is. I think the staff's very aware how good oh, yeah. Isaiah Wright is. Yeah, they know. He got four catches, six nine yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, I think you'd take that every week. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to overuse him either because, as you said, John, you can get hurt You can get hurt at any time, but right. you don't want to overuse him and then kind of wear him down. Yeah, and I wouldn't stop throwing the ball to, like, I mean, again, it's only been three weeks, three weeks into the season. I don't think – I mean, and I include Notre Dame in this group, and their defense is getting better. Notre Dame's defense is getting better. I haven't seen anybody that can cover Keith Kirkwood yet. I'm not trying to make him sound like he's, uh, you know, a top, uh, you know, top five, top ten pick in the draft this year, but he's he, he uses his body well. He uses – he's got a good – I hate to say it. I'm going to use the term catch radius, but he does. I mean, he's, I, I, Ventel, I mean, these are – Adonis. I mean, like you have three other receivers that you do need to get right. the ball to. Um, they're going to start getting the ball if he starts catching it to, to someone like Yeboah if they can open up stuff over the middle of the field. So, yeah, I'd take four catches, 60-plus yards, and a touchdown every week. I get it. Get the ball to him as much as you can. But I, I would be a little hesitant to keep running him out of the wildcat all the time unless you thought you just had – uh, if, if Armstead somehow regresses and gets hurt, then yeah, maybe you need to put him back there. But I don't know if I would want to like impede his progress that he's made as a route runner. Temple USF on Thursday, 7.30 on ESPN. That's it for us this week. We will talk to you next week. He did make plays off of it. Uh, I, again, I wouldn't mind seeing him a couple a couple times in uh, in the Wildcat, but I wouldn't put him back there all the time because he could, especially if you're if there's going to be a, you know, if, if you could have a situation there where he gets tackled for a loss and is exposed in a different way in terms of how he gets hit. But I think they they seem to be on a general progression of getting him the ball more and more each week. This isn't a situation where it's like, oh man. Only the fans see how good Isaiah Wright is. I think the staff's very aware how good oh, yeah. Isaiah Wright is. Yeah, they know. He got four catches, six, nine yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, I think you'd take that every week. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to overuse him either because, as you said, John, you can get hurt You can get hurt at any time, but right. you don't want to overuse him and then kind of wear him down. Yeah, and I wouldn't stop throwing the ball to, like, I mean, again, it's only been three weeks, three weeks into the season. I don't think – I mean, and I include Notre Dame in this group, and their defense is getting better. Notre Dame's defense is getting better. I haven't seen anybody that can cover Keith Kirkwood yet. I'm not trying to make him sound like he's, uh, 
you know, top, uh, you know, top five, top ten pick in the draft this year. But he's he, he uses his body well. He uses he's got a good. I hate to say it. I'm gonna use the term catch radius, but he does. I mean, he's, I Ventel. I mean, these are Adonis. I mean, like you have three other receivers that you do need to get right. the ball to. Um, they're gonna start getting the ball if he starts catching it to, to someone like Yaboa if they can open up stuff over the middle of the field. So, yeah, I'd take four catches, sixty plus yards, and a touchdown every week. I get it. Get the ball to him as much as you can, but I I would be a little hesitant to keep running him out of the wildcat all the time, unless you thought you just had. Uh, if, if Armstead somehow regresses and gets hurt, then yeah, maybe you need to put him back there. But I don't know if I would want to like impede his progress that he's made as a route runner. Temple USF on Thursday, 7.30 on ESPN. That's it for us this week. We will talk to you next week. Yeah.